Hello, and welcome to First Geek 411 Book Club. Um, before we get started, you can find us at all the socials as OneGeek411. Come chat with us at our Discord server or shoot us an email at 1stgeek411 at gmail.com. Check out the show, show notes on our website, onegeek411.com. And watch us live on Twitch every Monday night at 6.45 Mountain Time. And find the videos on our YouTube. Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our Redbubble store for some sweet, sweet merch. I'm Shanine, and with me, I have Cameron. Hello, hello. Hello. How's it going? And Chris. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> I am well. He's a snake. A snake, a snake. A snake. For the audio listeners, Chris is wearing a hood, so he looks kind of like a cobra. I feel like I should explain that joke. Okay. <laughs> Already derailed. Sorry, Shanine. Speaking of reptiles. <laughs> good segue, good segue. Tonight we're talking about Serafina by Rachel Hartman. Um, in a land where humans and dragons live out a tenuous peace due to the treaty brokered 40 years ago, tensions between them remain high. Dragons are able to change into human form, but with their analytical, logical minds, have trouble fully understanding humans and their emotions. Serafina, a musically talented young woman, is caught between these two worlds. She works at court and gets caught up in the investigation of a royal murder and the uncovering of a draconian plot to destroy the peace. Destroy it. So <laughs> peace is a lie. Like? <laughs> I mean, maybe. First impressions? I really like this book. Um... I, I think I talked about it last month since this is one that I had brought up um, for us doing, but Deanna and I had started doing like um, doing the audio book for this and we hadn't finished and I was look, looking to go through and finish. I really like the take on dragons in this book. Um, I like that they're, they still feel like dragons, but also don't feel like every other incarnation of dragons. And so I think it's a very fun take. So They feel more like D&D dragons in a sense um i enjoyed it for the most part it's not what i was expecting for like a fantasy book um being more on that like intrigue mystery side of things mm -hmm. um but yeah i enjoyed it yeah one thing i didn't care for is the was it forbidden love trope hey, man. oh man yeah Lost i could also there. have done without that yeah we'll get to that <laughs> <laughs> is this gonna be like the final chapter of ready player two <laughs> we just go deep in one part and that's the book club <laughs> don't get me started <laughs> <laughs> okay um emma could not be with us tonight but she sent us some of her thoughts um, her first impressions were that she didn't love it, but also didn't hate it. Um, she's rather neutral, wouldn't have read it of her own accord, but it was a nice read and fun and unique. Yeah. I actually quite liked it. I think it was a 
bit slow getting started, <laughs> but it was still interesting enough for me to continue. <laughs> and yeah, I quite liked it by the end. Yeah. I'll touch on this a bit more later on. Um, but it's one of those that like reading just cause like we all have our thoughts in our head, but I get to see Emma's on page. And so like reading through what she wrote, I'm like, Oh, I hundred percent agree with all of this, but I feel like I liked it. I liked a lot of those things more, even though I think that's a hundred percent right. Like, and we'll get more into the specifics of that, but um, so I'm going to just tease that for future questions. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think I really enjoyed it. Okay, so Cameron, you mentioned that you've started this book before. Mm -hmm. I think it was a new read for the rest of us, though. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, Cameron, did you remember much from the story going in? Was it different? Getting I think at it a second time. Yeah, I definitely think I noticed things a lot more, although we had listened to this on a trip to Colorado. And I think we listened to about the first like 10, 15 chapters. So about the first half. Um, and we must have stopped for the night or done something partway through. Cause there was like the, the twist either the first twist. I was like, Oh, that was way earlier than I remembered it being. Um, and so it must, I feel like it just must've been something where we'd like listen to like the first two chapters or something like that. And then stop for some reason. And so like my time frame was definitely off. Um, but in general, I think for the part that we went through, I, there's definitely is like, I at least remember the major plot beats. Um, have you read other books like this? I think it was very unique as yeah. far as fantasy goes. Yeah, I can't say I've like really read a fantasy that is almost exclusively a mystery. Yeah, because I gotta say this feel for a world with dragons and knights. This does not feel like a story about dragons and knights. Like, mm -hmm. um, it definitely feels very unique in that regard. Um, Okay, what was your favorite part? Is it, I don't know, I really liked Lars's introduction. Is it Lars? Mm -hmm. And his big drums? Yeah. Yeah. Like just the chaos in that scene, I just... Mm -hmm. <laughs> just seemed like a lot of fun and a good introduction for a character. I really liked, is it the blue room? Um, oh yeah. Princess Glazelda's parties. Yes. I really liked that. Um, I, I think that that was a good, it was, it's funny to see Serafina in very much not her element. Um, and I think that that it was, it was also fun to see her in that, like, um, us as an audience, knowing that 
the reason a lot of her personality is the way that she is is because she's plot twist a half dragon and like has to hide that because you know half dragon um and like kind of getting to see her have to try to balance that and now also trying to like almost like broker peace in this party between all the people involved um i think it was like it's a really interesting like encompass or en- encapsulation there we go of the story um and kind of the just the general politics of what's going on um and so i, I really liked that part for like kind of just what it represented for the world yeah i don't know if i had like a single favorite part i really liked kind of her mind garden Mm -hmm. i like that as well with her grotesques that spoiler alert turn out to not just be figments of her mind what (laughs) yep i really liked that too like that was one of those like plot building things where orma is like oh well this is relatively normal for dragons and yours is just weird and then we find out it's because of like all of her connections to all of these other half dragons and i'm like oh like that was a cool take on that like planting the plot seed early and then we've come to find out more of what it means later on in the book yeah All right. Did you have a least favorite part? I really feel like I need to take notes. Right. right. We go through these because <laughs> it's like, did I have a least favorite part? I mean, this is where we can go off yeah. about the forbidden romance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty much that it. Like the lat that one. Was it? 37 (laughs) yeah um and i'll say kind of with that um i think a lot of the book kind of just felt like um like very much like setting up a sequel like towards the end um and that was kind of one of the things it felt i don't know if rushed is the right word um but it definitely felt like there was the like there's this long mystery build up uh and then it's like Oh, and it's this, and we're done, and like fight scene, and <laughs> forbidden love, and all these things. Um, and so, yeah, so I'd say in general, I guess I liked the ending, but I did not like the ending. <laughs> Would that make sense? That's fair. They did take their time getting there, mm-hmm. but then just kind of like a couple chapters, and they're like, and there we go. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's like an episode of Scooby Doo. <laughs> you have 24 minutes of the mystery and then a minute of the solution <laughs> i feel like that's, that's a pretty good, that's pretty that's a good typical of uh of mysteries in general or at least good mysteries it keeps you encapsulated you're trying to figure it out and then gives you all that time to try to figure it out without like revealing too much and then well if you haven't figured it out this is what's happening <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I think my real one complaint was the forbidden romance. Like, it was being hinted at the whole time, and I'm like, don't do it. 
just don't do it. <laughs> I think what drove me, what made me the most upset about it was that Princess Glaselda was like my favorite. Right? Mm -hmm. I love her character so much. I'm like, I just want her to be happy. <laughs> like yeah. this, this, this is not good. And I like, I, I, one thing I also really like is, is Serafina's relationship with Glaselda. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm like this is, you, this is how you f. This is how you mess everything up. <laughs> and I'll say even there, I liked the relationship with Kiggs. Like, not the romantic side of it, but I loved their, like, like mental sparring. Yeah. yeah, like, it totally could have been a saucy friendship without... Yeah. Uh -uh. yeah. I felt like the romance was unnecessary and just kind of shoved in there because it was young adult. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Like, it's like we need a love interest, so forbidden love it works. Okay. It's like fine, whatever. You suck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It it very much felt like to just to go, to go off that idea, like of the like, well, we're going to have a like we're gonna try to get this pitched as a Netflix series or whatever. And we need to have something for the for the youths. <laughs> for the youths. For the youths gotta get them i mean modeling just good relationships isn't enough not when it comes to making money chris <laughs> that does not that does not interest the youths <laughs> dragons apparently aren't enough no oh how the youths have changed oh how youths have changed <laughs> someone says dragon i'm all over it Yeah, I mean, I did like a writing seminar for young adult fantasy. And yeah, I think the boys are more targeted with like the adventure part of it. And then the girls are targeted with the romance. That's kind of just how it goes. And you need both for it to be a successful young adult novel. I mean, you have so many other ways to approach relationships in this kind of in in in, in, the, in this world so i mean it's mostly this weird forbidden romance that i have a problem with um and then like you could have had you definitely could have had like a more developed and more natural relationship somewhere mm -hmm. instead you're gonna throw the fiance of the princess in the mix come on yeah i was not happy about that i expected better from kids mm -hmm. yeah. i'm also not a fan of the like with within that trope i'm not a fan of the like here's this guy that the girl really likes but he's in a relationship that he can't end so like I'm, I'm definitely not into that trope um and yeah yeah i especially don't like it because like the implications especially in high political yeah. things is that you know you know lasilda's working or doing her best here and you could like this discovery can probably set everything off mm-hmm You didn't think this through at all. Classic youths. 
But anyways, speaking of Clisilda, who is your favorite character? It's definitely Clisilda. Right? I adored her just the whole time. Like, like I, I, I just can't find any fault with her necessarily. Like she's, she's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, although, like, unknowing and in like a no unknowing way. Um, she, you know, she's, she's curious and, you know, her, her approach is like, even like at the end when she kind of takes the throne, like you really begin to see her shine. And, you know, as a friend to Serafina, you know, she's always just kind of looking out for it. like, this is, this is technically someone that's technically your servant mm -hmm. and the way she treats treats those below her is is awesome for for what this time period would mm -hmm. pro typically probably look like and and so yeah i i, I love her <laughs> which that's yeah. why i hate that for that's probably one <laughs> especially one reason why i really hate that romance aspect i'm just like yeah just screw over the most likable character in this good job i know right she's definitely the most genuine character mm -hmm. like she's just very real and fun and joyful but also very smart and just yeah she's wonderful and like how much of seraphina's like character development is because of glaselda yeah so so I really liked Lacelda as well, but I'll say Orma is my favorite. Um, part of that is I, I think that he has a lot of like the comic relief of like it's almost like that that serious character that doesn't realize how funny they're being, that kind of thing. Um, and so I liked a lot of that. Um, I also really liked his relationship with Serafina. Um, and that kind of I don't know if begrudging is the right word, but his his loving um, Serafina and his love for um, Lynn, Serafina's mother, like and kind of all of that tied in with this, like like being like forced to grow out of what is normal, that kind of thing. Um, and then I really like I liked a lot of the uh, the things that would come up, which was with his. Um, I don't know if like knowledge of the world is the right thing, but just his um, kind of getting to be the fun exposition kind of thing. And um, especially once, you know, we got to see him do dragon things and that kind of stuff. So I know that was some of like the moments that I was really excited about was when like towards the end um, when they've met um, in Imlin and call like Orma out to like, Hey, Lang, <laughs> things are happening. <laughs> And like, uh, but yeah, so I, I really liked Orma's like wit. I don't know if he's that because he's not actually witty, but <laughs> but he's, his wit. he's got some crazy political jukes, though. Yeah, he does like. Like probably like part of it, like, but like he's. He's obviously experiencing the emotions he's not supposed to, mm -hmm. you know, um, within dragon kind, but at the same time, he doesn't care that he's learning to appreciate those emotions, but still also approaching them logically and rationally to the point that he can 
maintain and protect at the same time, maintain mm-hmm. his status um, and not give himself away. Like, yeah, that makes me think maybe part of why I liked Orma is that he kind of has that double agent trope. I didn't think of that. Yeah, just like, like even, you know, uh, you know, obviously Serafina wasn't telling anyone a lot about that, but like, um, the censors when they try to throw her off the, the building, mm-hmm. he's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> While probably like realistically, actually feeling a little bit of panic, <laughs> but knowing that that's not the solution. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any least favorite characters? I mean, what did they do to my boy Kiggs? But we already talked about that. Um, yeah. I don't think a lot of characters were developed well enough for me to yeah. really truly dislike them. Um, or, or, you know, where I might have some dislike is mostly because, well, that's the role of the story. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like, running through characters in my head and I'm like, Ooh, that one. Oh yeah. They were the villain. Yeah. <laughs> They're supposed yeah. you're not supposed to like them, <laughs> you know, kind of situation or, or, you know, or they, you know, obviously they have to play kind of even kind of some minor characters they have to play the the political adversary to the piece Mm -hmm. nonetheless or the dissenting they are part of the dissenting voice um and like i can't just dislike them because of their opinion because a lot of the opinions that were developed in this are like they're reasonable based on their experiences and everything so it's it's understandable how they ended up where they were yeah i mean speaking of which there's the earl of apsig and like he was not likable he was the one that was like connected to lars and just like super horrible and Mm -hmm. stuff especially right there at the end Mm-hmm. yeah when but in the end story, you kind of get his story exactly like, i was gonna say like you see that he has his own struggles and that he's complex mm-hmm. as a character there's more going on than just like he's rude yeah he killed his father yeah. <laughs> it's like wait what yeah <laughs> No, I didn't get I didn't get him to back down. What are you talking about? I killed him. <laughs> Thanks, huh? Okay. <laughs> okay. I see you. Yeah, I guess kinda of same for me. Like I I I mean like I'm on like the wiki and like even like looking at the characters there. There's really only like twenty characters in the book. Like it's not there's not like a large cast. Um, which I think is fine. Um, but yeah, like I, I can't really think of a character that I disliked that I felt I was supposed to like, um, like even with like the final reveal, it's like, oh, well, cool. Cause that person was a jerk. Yeah. Like makes sense. Like, 
like stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, there were the, I, I can't remember the, Seraphina gets stabbed in this, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the two that stabbed her, the, the, right. That set her up. One of which is Karangi. So, so who is Imlin? So it's like, well, yep. Yep. But I mean, they're yeah, the worst. Yeah, right. And so, um, I guess like that was one that, like at that point, it's like, oh, you're just an awful person. And it's like, oh, wait, oh, you are an awful. Yep. Well, exactly. awful dragon. But like, Right. What did we think of Serafina as a character and as a narrator? She's Spock. <laughs> In a sense. I mean, like, just that, that half, half and half. Although, probably, like, Spock, if he's raised by humans, more so. She's definitely more in touch with her, with the emotional aspects. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, every step of the way throughout the story, like as I'm not sure. I mean, as a narrator, narrator, I think she's fine because she gets to provide the context. Mm -hmm. And I think that it did a really good job for explaining her actions. Mm -hmm. So like every step of the way, there's outside of the forbidden love thing. Um, I was just like, I'm wait. I understand. I understand that decision. I don't blame you. Mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah. Um, I never found myself doing the like the stuff that happened with Ready Player One and Ready Player Two. Where it's like, Wade, why are you doing the things? I like there was never any of those you? moments. <laughs> like, uh, even when like, even when it is ultimately a bad decision, it's just, right. It's more understandable. It's like everything, like, in that situation, yeah, I'd probably make the same bad decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like just hurt hurt like at 16 having to navigate and like hide yourself she did such a good job and then suddenly she's put in really bad situations where she might get discovered <laughs> yeah it's like it'd be exhausting that's one of the things that I th found really interesting is that like, cause there are the scenes like where she goes to interrogate the knights and stuff like that, where you very much see that like inquisitor dragon side of her. And it's like, this is the, there is now the, the horde that I must obtain and the horde is knowledge, that kind of thing. And like, she just can't handle waiting. She must, she must dive into the mystery, that kind of thing. Um, and I think I really liked that side of it. And again, like even again, to what Chris said, when those end up not being the best choices, it definitely makes a lot of sense for like for why she did them. Yeah, I definitely would not have gone out on the trip with Kiggs, but I understand why she did. But. Okay, so the trip with Kiggs. 
where, where she just like bullheadedly, yeah, I've done this before, sure. Never ridden a horse. Gets on it and rides. <laughs> for, for all day, pretty much. I love her stubbornness at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Just like, okay. You got this. I believe. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I have much to add about Serafina. I think for her character being so built on lying, mm -hmm. she was a she seemed to be a very honest narrator. Mm -hmm. It's like her her I think the intention of the lie is a big part of that. Yeah. Cause she's was, not just, she's not a dishonest person. Yeah. She's not doing it to be deceitful. But... She's doing it out of like self-preservation mm -hmm. more so. And like every opportunity she can, she includes as much truth as possible while withholding. It's more so like the liable mission. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, I'm just withholding some things because well, you'd kill me if you knew. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you could hear these stories from another point of view, whose would you choose? Just because it's a relationship that's not fully developed. Her dad. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, because he's obviously a really intelligent person or human, for one. Um, having, like, really in-depth knowledge and, like, obviously... You know, I mean, he's obviously experiencing some sense of betrayals here with with Serafina's mom upon mm -hmm. the discoveries and things like that. I think his take, granted, not maybe for this specific portion of the story, um, but also just, you know, still trying to be a dad to Serafina. Um, I, I wish that would have been either better developed in this Um or because a lot of like we see him kind of at the beginning and in these big political scenes, um, social scenes, but not really otherwise. We only see him pretty much with the handoff to um, her teachers, her her tutors, and and everything like that. And we don't really see much of him after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll I'll say kind of overall, I'm glad that we had Serafina as the narrator through the whole book, but there are definitely like once the mystery is revealed, I would really like to have known more about what um, Emlyn was up to. Like almost as that, like, um, like the rewind through and getting to see, okay, well here is how over the last, I don't know, 13 years, however many years he's been exiled. Um, here is how he has actually been like manipulating things behind the scenes and how he came to be in the high court and stuff like that. Um, I definitely would have liked to have seen more of that. Um, I don't know. Again, I don't know when that would have happened, but like plot wise, but that's definitely something I'd be very interested to hear as like a prequel style thing. Yeah. 
I don't know. I'm kind of thinking Glaselda just because I want more Glaselda. <laughs> like, I, I, me too. I want more Glaselda, but at the same time, like, at least her role in this story, like, is just now picking up kind of as she takes, you know, whereas she, you know, I'm not, maybe, maybe she does more with her in her free time, but. You know, she's still like that young princess that's pretty much sheltered. I'm not sure she's doing much outside of when yeah. Serafina comes to teach her harpsichord or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Just getting manipulated by Lady Karongi and stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I could handle a whole book from Lacelda's point of view. At Maybe least for like the, the as she's presented. Story. Yeah, I could see again, like almost as the opposite of what I just said. I could see a future to what you're saying of, of her ruling, and now what does this look like as she tries to navigate this peace or this lack of peace now, I guess, and get her people through. But yeah, I think I, don't, it'd I definitely be... don't think I could handle this this time frame with her. <laughs> I think also maybe like time frame wise, I think Lacelda would be a great like in retrospect, let me tell you the story of Serafina. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this is how we met. This is you know, and like at because she she I think she's ultimately I, I obviously we don't know what the relationship's gonna look like in the future, but I mean you know, if if it's a good relationship throughout the rest of the series or anything like that, it'd be a good retrospective aspect. Let me tell you about my friend here, and like you like to interject and kind of give that, like, I don't know, third person more so, um, and like interjecting. Well, I only know this because I was told, but because she confided in me at this time, you know. I think that'd be an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. All right. Did you find the world and characters believable? Not enough squids. Not enough True. math. <laughs> you guys sold me on dragon math. I think I was looking up like the description of the book when Cameron suggested it and it made it seem like they were doing math just all <laughs> of the time. And I'm like, I'm going to hate this book. <laughs> and then there was not nearly as much math. It was like no math. The description I read led me to believe. <laughs> there were mathematicians. Yes. And there's a very mathematical way of approaching things. But yeah, there, there's not like, um, and even like with, um, with Clyde, um, Serafina's dad, there's not like, it, it almost sets up like, there's going to be a lot of legal stuff going on. Yeah. More so than then, that. Nope. Not really. <laughs> just <laughs> just kind of really. like, and just, yep. He just happens to be a lawyer. Doesn't really ever come up until the very end. I like, um, but yeah. Um, I, I feel like this is kind of like some of the other books that we've read where like the answer is no, but like within its own mythology, like nothing seemed out of place um, or the, the things like the twists with the 
um, with the garden and things like that, that all seemed while new to the world, didn't seem preposterous. Yeah. Like, I think like we said before, like it's very unique and I enjoyed that about it. Mm -hmm. I think it would have made a better video game. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. There's not really a lot of like... Nice solid sim RPG. Yeah. I was thinking like point and click adventure. Like... Or think like Telltale style, like like they're Walking Dead, that kind of thing. Like, I'm 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 almost thinking like you could have like an aspect almost like Dragon Age, you know, where because you're making decisions as the main character or something, and seeing how it unfolds, and doing a lot more math. And to make your decisions, you have to solve math equations. Yeah, you <laughs> if you get the question right, like it's actually one of those like educational games. It's like if you get the question right, you say the good answer. If you get the question wrong, you're found out. And <laughs> and start over. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think this world is pretty well developed. Um, you know, you have what three pretty distinct political um human poli politic political parties um right you have gred the semitists <laughs> um and Ninus. that's the third and then obviously you have the dragon factions mm-hmm I'll say with that, the world did feel kind of small. Like we get like talks of, especially because we're in like the, the capital or whatever. So we get talks of all these other places. But since we as like an audience never really go anywhere aside from like Serafina's flashbacks of her mom. Like we never really go more than a day away from the city. Um, Just to the cave so, of the uh, banished knights. Yeah. Um, so I guess kind of just because of that, like it, the world definitely did feel small. Um, it seemed like there's a lot there, but a lot of it feels far away. I guess if that makes sense. Like even at the end with the, the dragon rebellion that takes place, like it's like, well, that just feels like super distant because like we don't actually know like how close is their kingdom to where we are. Like, is this like, like, what is the actual degree of this as like an imminent threat? Or is it just like, oh, it would take them weeks to fly here. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so Emma has some thoughts about world building. She says, overall, better writing style than Ready Player One and Two. Mm -hmm. But Amen. also felt like the writer often under-explained things to the detriment of world building and character development. 
For example, the whole saint's belief system confused her. There was a big emphasis on all these patron saints, but what did they even believe in when they were alive? Um, Read as a very confused Catholic going, you can't have saints without a god. They seemed to be a big part of the culture within the book, but Deep Tale felt a bit too surface level, even if the author wanted some amount of mystery behind them. Mm-hmm. Personally, I kind of loved the saint's belief system. Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought it was unique, again, for a fantasy setting. Like, usually you get, like, I don't know, these, like, distant gods and, like, Mm-hmm. stuff like that but having kind of more structured but still kind of mysterious beliefs yeah well i, think, I really liked the oh, go ahead chris oh i was gonna say like uh there there is the part where like uh seraphina uses the saints as an excuse right and like mm-hmm. what saint and but also she includes a little bit like that it's like a misunderstood saint almost in her explanation. And I really like that, that, you know, it's like a foolish saint, like he's considered to be the foolish saint or whatever. But I, I, I think that's completely misunderstood. And like in giving this like more in depth, like history of them a little bit, just, just a little snippet. Um, but I mean, like in general, like that, I mean, I, maybe the author didn't feel like they needed to include much because it's, just wrapped in that's kind of the same kind of mystery that those looking from the outside in um even within catholic saints you know that that in our own culture has that everyone has may have their own personal connection Mm -hmm. to that saint and not maybe not even for the reason that they are the patron saint of whatever Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I'll say like this. So this is one of the things I was alluding to earlier. Where like I hundred percent agree with Emma here, but I really liked. There, like I liked that that there didn't feel like there had to be a chapter where they explained the religion to me. Yeah, author's um, not Tolkien. Yeah, and like <laughs> especially like I mean, coming off of Ready Player Two and several months ago doing Treasure Island, where like there were just parts of both of those books that just felt like this is a chapter to have a chapter. Um, And so like, I definitely agree that there was a lot of those parts that seemed very underdeveloped, but at the same time, it's, I didn't feel like I had to have that as much as it was definitely, they would have been nice to have. It, It felt me, it felt like it left me wanting to learn more about the world. Maybe that's another way to say it versus like shoving all the detail down my throat, treasure Island. (laughs) well and it's also one of those things that that's also one of the limitations of the first person narrator Mm -hmm. um in terms of writing that you know we you you can't you can't seraphine is not going to be all knowing Mm -hmm. um you know so we are only going to know of the saints based on seraphine's experiences with them Mm -hmm. yeah I think coming a bit from a writer's perspective as well, it's like she explained enough that we like understood its impact on the story. We don't know everything about it, but we know enough 
about it. Mm -hmm. Like we saw how it affected people and their culture having, what was it? The saints of Ogdo Mm -hmm. who were like super anti-dragon, like militantly anti-dragon and how that kind of formed them and affected the culture as a whole, things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The Saint system felt almost a bit like Hogwarts sorting house. Than like yes. That was very Saint. much the, the impression that I got as well of like, uh, it felt very much, especially with how Kiggs approaches it. And so like, that's kind of our, our other portal into it is through him. And he seems to almost view it as that personality test. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you're inquisitive. So you are from, your patron saint must be this person. Um, and so I, I thought that that was an interesting application of the belief system. And of course, again, we don't know much about the actual belief system, but it definitely seemed like an interesting like way of bringing that out as someone who like, and if it was he or she might have a much bigger insight into like the Catholic side of it. But like, as someone who is like, not from that background, like, I don't really know how Catholics approach those saints and those kinds of things. And that's not something that we have in my faith background. Um, and so um, I thought that that was definitely interesting. Emma also has some thoughts on the dragons. She said, really enjoyed the reimagining of dragons as being Vulcan-like shapeshifters with a limited range of options for shifting. It was a different take on a classic fictional animal. Overall, she doesn't think it would incorporate the shapeshifting aspect into the general mythology of dragons just because it doesn't fit their general vibe. But she likes how the author used that ability to carry the story along. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on the dragons? I feel like dragon shape. I was thinking about this because Deanna and I were talking about it. Um, And I think it's really interesting that dragons, like 20% of the time, have this super random shape shifting power. Like it's not in a ton of dragon stories, but it's definitely like consistently in some. Um, And it just seems like one of those like really interesting things. Um, that just like kind of pops up from time to time and almost as the like um, like almost as like the contextualizing that power as like the oh surprise in this world they can do this thing that sometimes they can do Um, like thinking like the witcher and things like that even magic the gathering um, where we can have shape-shifting dragons like um it definitely feels like it's one of those tropes that like gets played off of from the like will it take place here um and i liked that idea um i liked how i mean just completely agree with everything emma said um i really liked how it tied into the plot both as the like there are the dragons that people know about that have to wear the bells then there's the the ones that are undercover that people don't know about and then how that ties into the later plot with Imlin. Um, and I think that that's a very interesting, like way of taking that espionage side of it that like, we don't really, um, 
in chat Ross says everyone take a drink cameron mentioned magic the gathering <laughs> um and um and i really think that that's just like an interesting way of taking taking the dragons in a world where for the most part it seems like all the dragons that we see like what's going on like they're not necessarily like all on board with it especially with how the humans treat them but in general they seem very focused on preserving the peace and so i liked that idea and that connection with it being like up oh, except for this one <laughs> and so i really liked that and i i like the I like the take on, I mean, it's pretty like bluntly stated later on in the book. And I referenced it earlier, but the idea that of dragons, like realizing like we can have all these hordes of gold, but what if the real horde was the friends we made along the way, um, was knowledge and learning <laughs> and understanding things that they knew they couldn't understand on their own. And so they developed this magic to become human. They developed, they, they signed this peace treaty. And um, I really liked that take on dragons as um, almost like cats, like where they're just super curious. So how to train your dragon. No, yeah, so, so how to train your dragon. You know, I also do really like how to train your dragon. So. So I, th I think a lot of that comes from where you pull kind of your dragon mythology from. So you can kind of tell like a lot of like more modern dragon takes the sentient kind of wise being, um, you know, that that's definitely probably more of an Eastern take on dragons. Um, but we also do see it. And obviously like in Dungeons and Dragons, dragons, but we get the two facets. Um, whereas, you know, if you just exclusively look at like a european european centric um take on the mythology of dragons um like tolkien's works or anything they're a corrupted being you know hoarders um intelligent but like they they are ultimately corrupted um used for evil um and then we see like that transition a little bit but i think you know just depends on where you are pulling your mythology from and like what you're trying to incorporate uh because yeah, in D and D, we we see shape shifting dragons, and you know, I like that. Uh, you know, at one of the Glissetto's party, like she interjects and mentions that it's like this piece is here because they're curious, kind of situation. There, it's like mm -hmm. it's like they're trying to figure out music. Like yeah, it's like if we weren't interesting. They wouldn't care. We're just, we're we're still technically insects to them in terms of like overall knowledge. In terms of you know, obviously Long, longevity, longevity, <laughs> power, all these things. Like yeah, yeah. We, we um, but that that they do find something like not just within that interesting about humans' emotions. But also they begin to realize that there is a like certain level of equality there in terms of their um, awareness, I guess, would be the best way, or sentience. All right, I'm 
realizing I did not put in a question about this, so I want to talk a little bit more about the mind garden and the grotesques. Mm. Any thoughts? What grotesques we liked, didn't like? Thoughts Don't about you sort the of garden? <laughs> um, okay, well, the grotesques that we really get to meet in this one are Miss Fusspots, who in real life is Dame Okra Carmine, Ninish Ambassador to Gored. We get to meet Loud Lad, who in real life is Lars, um, Viridius's protege and creator of the Mega Harmonium, and Fruit Bat, who is Abda, a Porphyrian dancer. And then some others are mentioned. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but we not but we don't explored. actually get to meet them yet. Yeah. I mean, the grotesques are probably the reason why I'd be willing to read the other two books. Because I, I want to meet the other half dragons. I want to know a little more like about their experiences. I want to see what their powers are. Um mm -hmm. and yeah, so, save yeah. that for number sixteen, Chris. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not looking at notes here. You ask the question. I'm. Ex I'm telling you. Okay. Um, in terms of when she's in her garden, um, fruit bat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I agree. I really liked fruit bat. Um, I mean, it definitely feels like that's the intention um, of we're yeah. supposed like. Um, but I, I did really like this idea of the garden and. Why can't that Fruit Bat I, be the love interest? No, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, and one of the things that I think is super interesting with the garden as a whole is the idea that, like, some of the grotesques seem to be much more aware of what's good. Like, they can almost become, like, sentient. Mm -hmm. And so then what does that, because, like, there, it's, I forget the name of the grotesque, but there's one that Serafina had to, like, shut out. And I think that that's super interesting, because, like, what did that mean like once we find out that the grotesques are the other half dragons. So then what did that mean for that other half dragon that was becoming aware of what was going on? Um, like was, were they, did they, was their power also connected with being able to communicate? Like what, what did that actually like practically look like in the world? Um, and so like stuff like that, definitely like I thought was really interesting. And especially like, I really liked the idea that, as Serafina saw people in real life, the the grotesques like updated to match what how she had perceived them. Um, I thought that was really cool. Um, it's the idea of like seeing like a shadow of the person until you meet them, and then you she now has this connection to the real person. Oh yeah, and I guess that's something we kind of forgot to mention as well. Is we suddenly find out that the half dragons are actually like powered, mm -hmm. like super powered. Yeah, and that... super might be a stretch. <laughs> They have powers. I mean, they're super. They human can develop powers. them. Yeah, they're they're. Yeah, <laughs> the more we can do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's. I think it's really interesting. I think that that's a cool twist of almost like the benefit kind of thing of, like obviously this wasn't a good thing, um, from their world from their world building perspective, but that there is this, um like one plus one doesn't equal two kind of thing. Like they, they very much are now their own, almost like their own species um, mm -hmm. rather than, um, rather than halves of, of humans and dragons. 
I, I would agree that like ultimately, yeah, the the half dragons are essentially their own. They're they're missing like a lot of the major things in this world that make dragons dragons. Obviously, shape shifting is one. Mm-hmm. As um, far as we know, yeah. But <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm that's I'm definitely looking forward to to seeing more. But yeah, I just like the introduction of fruit bat is why I like them too. Like had that interaction and you know it had a kind of negative effect on seraphina and like through that communication somehow you know was able to like and willingly just knocked it off (laughs) Mm -hmm. don't do that again okay (laughs) (laughs) you're kind of out of that i really liked the idea of the things in that garden affected her real life and so like once the once she gets the box of memories from her mom like if there's a memory that her mom like really wants her to see it gets hot it starts to erupt and like i thought that that was a really interesting way of tying in and even then tying in with the not really knowing what any of it means of like fruit bat is aware enough to know to stop this from happening because it will negatively affect her and like and his real person see is doing that like it's not act, it's not the grotesque it's the real human half dragon that is doing that and making that sacrifice and so like stuff like that i think is really cool because it's like well what does that what is that i guess is the way to say that and is this a unique to seraphina thing with this being like her power or is it like, or what? Just like, yeah, what is going on here? <laughs> what is this? I have questions. All right. Did any quotes stand out to you? So I did the audiobook for this one. So a bit a little bit less than normal because of that. Um I'm sure Shanine, because this is what happens every time, you'll read quotes and I'll be like, yes, that was one of the ones I liked. Um but I know one that I really liked is um, um when the I am half lawyer. I always notice the loopholes. Um I kind of liked that idea. Um and then there was another one, I think it's an Orma quote. Um, but it is the, of course, now I can't find it on the list. Um, for future reference, do not underestimate the seductive power of math. <laughs> so, <yep. laughs> yeah, I always forget to write down quotes. I have a few that stuck out. I'm trying to decide which ones to read. Um, There was one I liked um, from the scene of the prince's funeral. Um, Serafina is saying, they needed heaven's peace. I knew little of saints, but I knew about sorrow and about music as sorrow's surest bomb. That was comfort I could give. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I guess I like that. Just connecting heaven and comfort and you don't mm -hmm. have to know a lot about it, but you can still reach out to people in their sorrow. Mm -hmm. There's another one I was trying to find that from a more like serious standpoint I had really liked, um, but no. Now I cannot find it. Oh, I really liked, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's the, um, this conversation, but again, between Serafina and Orma. Um, and Orma is asking like, who will kiss you? Who will take care of you? Like, and she just says, you never did. Like she's, I said, trying to tease him. You were more my father to me than my father, but you never did that. Yes, someone should, someone should love you. Like, and I thought that that was like, it's a very interesting, like parental, like side of the like, or almost like realizing like the things that he should have been better at, even if that's not necessarily how it was presented in the moment of like, this, these are the things that people need and almost like that. Well, I know you need it and I know, I'm sorry, I didn't do it. Yeah. All right. Was there anything in the book that surprised you? I was kind of surprised that the bad guy was actually Imlin. Like... And that it, it seemed to mostly be him, at least from our region, it seemed to be mostly him acting alone. Like that definitely seemed weird to me. Um, Cause like he's presented as like, he was a general, like he perceivably has this like cabal of people that are okay at, are wanting to overthrow the peace. But in the capital city, he's by himself. And so like that kind of surprised me. Um, just that it was that, I don't know if straightforward is the right way to say it, but just that it, it was just like, yep, it was him. It was him the whole time. Like, Orma was right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I was surprised that it was kind of like the obvious answer, but I guess when it's coming from a logical dragon. Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, because one yeah. one dragon was enough for them to have to rewrite the treaty and potentially go to war with a more <laughs> dragons. So, yeah. Um, and kind of with that, like, I mean, I did like that. The big, the more the mystery becomes, more of the who is Imlin who is his human form rather than like that really becomes the mystery of the book. And I thought that again, I was kind of surprised that that was actually it. Like that was actually the mystery. Um, but then that ties in with what I just said of that. It being just him just doing his thing. Yeah. 
surprise you, Chris? No. No. Not like Something goes over Chris's head. Nothing. You would yeah. catch it. <laughs> I catch it. <laughs> I mean, nothing like surprised me really. Um, like in general, I mean, it progressed it kind of as, as a story should. Um, wasn't like any like real major plot twists you know that you know you can kind of, that kind of just didn't, weren't set up um yeah all right did you notice any biblical or theological themes so one for me ties in with the idea of that of the saints um and we get to this point where um seraphina is talking about how like the saints are all like kind of just different in different areas and so like in some places the saints would look like this or in other is there like they have they're holding this thing but in other regions they're holding a different thing um things like that i thought um that kind of got me thinking about just the like uh almost from like a different denomination standpoints, how we all like see different things, but we're all looking at the same thing, if that makes sense. Um, so like we might, um, it's kind of that idea of like the majority of Christian denominations are united on 90% of things. Um, and it's kind of that 10% that's different. Um, and that kind of, it just kind of got me going down that thought process for, like almost like how we adapt certain stories or things like that to to our perspective if that makes sense what about you Shani? Okay, I have another quote. I didn't think I was going to read it, but I changed my mind. <laughs> um, this is at the beginning at Serafina's, I don't know, was it a baptism, dedication, whatever that was. She was a baby. Um, and then the book falls open to the wrong saint. <laughs> they, they pick a new one um superstitious fakery or not the psalter's message was clear the truth may not be told here is an acceptable lie mm -hmm. and yeah i think lies and truth were a running theme through the whole book mm -hmm. and yeah i think kind of what we were talking about a bit before is lies for deceit's sake or acceptable lies mm -hmm. yeah i don't have anything specific i got another one that i think it's less of like a religious or like a biblical or theological theme, but there's the very much that like 
establishing your own belief within the belief system where like Serafina very much has that perspective that's not the normal perspective on the world um, and kind of is coming out of coming at that belief system um, and again like to Emma's point from earlier like we don't know a lot about the overall belief system but she seems to not necessarily be like what we would deem as like an atheist um, but she's coming to her own kind of grips and understanding within that system and so that I think that is as somebody who like was a youth minister that's like one of those big things that I would see a lot with people uh, and I, I mean I see even am currently seeing a lot with myself um, where it's that idea of like it's not that like people lose their faith completely or certain people lose their faith completely but it's that they come to understand kind of how their how the pieces fit for their perspective um, and then like then of course we have to from our in our situation too we have to of course then make sure our perspective is biblical and things like that but like um but like so that kind of got me thinking along those lines of just like finding your own faith rather than living out the faith as presented or solely as presented I mean, kind of on that similar note, like the does deal a lot with like, obviously, like how would like in terms of our world, like mm -hmm. finding another like sentient being, how would that impact your faith? Mm -hmm. And kind of like, I mean, in 40 years, I'm sure humans had like, you know, obviously, um, like I'm sure a portion of their faith was built around the idea that dragons are evil bad things and just beasts and now you know but now you're in this peace with them that you have to kind of restructure your faith around what would that look like i think it, mm -hmm. this they do a good job with that although i'd like to see it explored a little more just because i mean like even in human history that's kind of an ongoing thing that we see now that you know, when we think of even those within humankind itself, when we think of them as less, we can do some horrendous things in that exploration. So I like it, you know, I, I, I like the kind of Star Trek-y things within this that, mm -hmm. you know, there, there was a time where we were at odds and that was because of lack of understanding. And a lot of it was is lack of acknowledgement ultimately of the intelligence and c c capabilities of of the other yeah yeah um I'm just thinking like Serafina didn't seem like an overly religious character. Mm -hmm. But I think especially when it came to music, it kind of took her mm -hmm. beyond. Like there was some scenes and stuff that talked about when she was making music, like 
she felt like she could touch the sky kind of like made her feel like she was flying and just that like there are things in this world that connect us to god or <laughs> whatever that higher power is in their world but yeah those things that take us beyond ourselves All right, before we get to our fun final questions, anything else that stood out to you? I like that the dragons have like this weird 1940s through 60s concept of mental health. <laughs> that ultimately, when it goes too far, the ultimate solution is a lobotomy. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that that's, a, that's one of those things that I, again, kind of fitting in with the, like, the, tying in with, like, Emma's point from earlier about so certain things being underexplained. That one really confused me. I mean, I get it. Though. Yeah. Like, not, I mean, yeah, again, not that it didn't make sense in the world that this is how they would, but, like, the, I guess you could say, like, the practicalities of that are what confused me. Because they did seem almost, like, flippant about it. it but To me, it's one of those situations where it's, like, you know, like with within, especially like drawing from like our history that a lot of it is out of ignorance and lack of understanding and mm -hmm. unwilling to kind of explore the actual intricacies and facets of behavioral health. And that's something that the dragons are definitely at. They're just strictly approaching it from a solution oriented emotions bad solution lobotomy mm -hmm. um yeah. it's like well they're not self-destructive anymore so it worked and that's very much you know that 50s 60s era of well we institutionalize them lobotomize them they're good kind of situation and i think that's kind of like looking at the dragons that was their approach like it's just like we don't want those emotions we don't want those feelings those go against the very core of our being and the excision thereof is the solution. And to them, that was a good thing. And to, you know, behavioral health professionals back in that era, that was, that was a mm -hmm. good thing. It was just, it's, you know, and especially because they come from that very logical faceted, you know, background. And that is their, that is their, essentially their personality. I kind of, I, I kind of, like obviously it's bad but like i like that that is the solution here because it goes very well with their culture mm -hmm. okay would you like to see this as a movie and who would you cast No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why? I... Mostly because I don't think it'd be done well. <laughs> um, I 
yeah i i I just can't see it being done well uh or you know you know someone it's not a big enough story um well known enough to where or necessarily has like a big enough fandom to where there's going to be the outrage for it either um i don't know i i i I, maybe maybe an anime because i trust anime creators more than anyone um (laughs) don't know why i just do no uh but there you know and in movie form another thing because because as we mentioned there's that forbidden love they're gonna lean too hard into that you know it's already a piece i don't like that's gonna be the point of the movie if they make it one (laughs) it's all gonna be kigs and seraphina straight up So I'll say, like, I think this would be a make a fun, like, limited series. Like, I, I say with, again, not with currently no context of what the rest of the story is. Um, so I don't know what's in the other books. But, like, I could definitely see this making a good, like, like, Netflix style, like, six to eight episodes. And that's the story. Um, and probably six. Uh, six feels right. Um but like having that be the be the take on it rather than trying to like on one end it feels like there's way too much to do well in a movie and then on the other end it feels like there's definitely not enough for like a normal series and so um but for casting so um i have some like maybe some kind of wonky choices but um, so my casting for Serafina would be Blue Hunt, um, who plays Danny Moonstar in New Mutants. And so um, and she's also in CW um, on in um, the originals on CW. Apparently, I haven't seen that um, and is in Another Life on Netflix. And so um I liked her in New Mutants. I mean, New Mutants is indeed a film, but it's probably one of the uh, better mutant films in a while. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely better than Dark Phoenix and Apocalypse, but that's a whole nother podcast. Um, and and so yeah, so I really liked her, um, and I think she would be a, make a fun take for that like inquisitive um, Serafina, and then and. Um, <laughs> And then the person that I thought of, I, I did not realize had also played Spock um, or I'd forgotten. And that's Zachary Quinto um, as Orma. <laughs> um, I was thinking of him from his role in Heroes and kind of as that like kind of weird villain in Heroes. And I think he would make a very good like off the wall Orma. And then also surprised Orma is crazy close to Spock. And I think he'd also be good for that or because of that reason as well. So. I like it. I think he's too big of a name and that's what's going to make it go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Too much. I mean, Orma is like one of the three main characters. I mean, like, I'm, I'm just thinking like, 
for <laughs> like what they did with like Aragon. I'm like, yeah, they had some good names in that. It's like if you're gonna do it, you kind of just need to throw some unknown names out there. <laughs> so like Blue Hunt would be, I mean, she's lesser known, so like that's not a bad one. Yeah, I had to look her up, but I can definitely see her in that role. That, those are the only castings I have. <laughs> no kicks. Um, no kicks casting. Know. Ideally, someone forgettable. Um, <laughs> again, I really liked kids until the end. But um, what about a Princess Glacelle casting? I have no idea. Yeah. What do you think, Shane? I don't know. I mean, it'd be like a young adult series. Like, who do the kids like these days? I don't know. <laughs> Who are, who's hip with the youths? <laughs> I do feel like, to that point, one of the things that I think is weird is like a lot of the like the young actors I think of, I think of as like Game of Thrones, and it's like, oh, they're all adults now. I'm just thinking of like season one to two, like. Like Maisie Williams, but oh, but she's like, like still looks relatively young, but like would be like, I wouldn't want necessarily want her to play like Serafina or, but just in the sense of like, I don't necessarily know that that, I mean, I think she could do it. I think she's a great actress, but like, um, and just maybe in my head isn't how I see that character, but hmm. Who's hip? Who's new? <laughs> yeah. Who's on the Disney Channel now? Do kids still watch the Disney Channel? <laughs> Varoth says, I feel like no one who says hip with the youths is hip with the youths. That'd be accurate. But we're saying it ironically, what so that saying. makes us hip with the youths. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay as long as you say it ironically. That's <laughs> how it works. I don't know. I was picturing Orma as like kind of grandfatherly looking. Everyone who I'm picturing, I cannot think of their name. <laughs> and everyone who's played a grandfather and or Santa. <laughs> yes. Thinking about it, like maybe like the cast of like the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Just like, just pull the, the entire cast. Yeah. Um, who's the person that plays Sabrina? Um, Kieran... Kiernan Sipnica. She would make a good Glaselda. Yeah. I think Jim Broadbent should be Orma. You guys are throwing names out. I don't know. You know Jim Broadbent. I mean, I probably do, but I don't know. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. See? <laughs> he looks more mighty to me. <laughs> he looks like he would look good with a fake beard. Yeah. Now we need to find someone older, <laughs> though, for the villain. <laughs> I 
maybe like Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Trying to yep. picture it. I mean, he does those great at Ben Kingsley just does great at playing villains in general. Like, he's one of those that, like, oh man, he's a great actor. Yeah, I think one of the first things I saw him in was in Tuck Everlasting. That's kind of oh, what man. I'm picturing him as. That kind of look. Tuck Everlasting. Wow. Yes. <laughs> throwback wow oh, i don't even want to know how old that movie is now 2002 oh <laughs> it can drink almost, almost. 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it can drink in the next couple canada. years <laughs> oh we can drink in canada that's right oh and he plays gandhi yeah in oh, the gandhi yeah. movie yep ben kingsley does he did a really good job what am I thinking of him? To Veras comment, how did Gandhi become a villain? Well, first, <laughs> he got into drugs. And then he got hired to record some tapes. Yeah. <laughs> and he got plastic surgery to look like the Mandarin. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> then he nuked the russians in civ 4 <laughs> yep all right so speaking of wild speculation if you were to read more in this series what are your predictions and hopes for the rest of the story i hope they find another love interest yes <laughs> you know kids like if kids just happen to die in battle honorably and then we found another love interest <laughs> or no love interest you know seraphina you live your life it's like yeah i mean that's that's the thing is like i feel like so often we ruin really good female characters with the love interest like the way she was talking in that chapter i was just like really <laughs> Yeah. It's like all your hope is on this relationship right now, and I don't like it. <laughs> your hope should be that you're going to live in a world where you can just straight up be yourself. Because <laughs> that's my hope for you. <laughs> um, Like, I just really look forward to seeing, like, meeting the other and seeing their power. Like, seeing what their abilities are. Meeting all the half-dragons. Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of just picture, picture a mutant crew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely on my list, too. Meeting all the grotesques. And especially mm -hmm. Janula. The creepy staring to my eyes one. Yes. <laughs> And what's her deal? What's your deal? 
<laughs> I hope that's the first question. <laughs> just, just, what's your deal, yo? <laughs> I have several questions. Number one, how dare you? <laughs> um, I, I want to see them go to an actual, like, city, air quotes, city of dragons. Like, I want to, I definitely want to see what that looks like in this world. Um, because yeah, right now all we're seeing are dragons in a human city, right? What would a dragon city look like? Yeah, can dragons still like do dragons still live in their own cities because were the cities developed for their actual dragon forms or they're developed for. <laughs> God, that definitely seems like one that'd be really interesting, especially getting into like now that there's a war going on, like like presumably they're not in human form all the time and they wouldn't be in human form in a dragon city. But like you could also see them doing that for various reasons. And so like I think it'd be really interesting to see like dragons trying to sneak around in human form kind of thing <laughs> or getting a look at like the culture of humans that want to live in a dragon city. So the dragons set up their cities as a social experiment for humans. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Let's see how play they... us some music. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Yes. Varoth does mention that he feels like 80% of male characters are given love interests and 99% of female characters are given love interests. And I think the goal of the love interests, like I feel like for female characters, the point is the love interest whereas for male characters it's a motivating factor more often i definitely agree with that though but it's like it's like stop yeah this is a pet peeve of mine in another book that i am reading right now the love interest the love interest between the two main characters the two main characters are the least interesting characters in this entire series. Oh no. And they are the worst when they're together. <laughs> like if you could just be miserable and apart for the whole thing, that would be great. Yeah, I'd like you more. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause the woman is like powerful and a leader until she's like with her guy and then she's like super stupid and super incapable of doing anything. And I'm like, really? really <laughs> she's flustered <laughs> and that's also that's one where that's why i'm worried because like seraphina is an awesome capable character but she's literally like the, the end of this book literally sets up kigs as her end game <laughs> i'm just like if that's your end game it's like literally it's like i can't i'm not sure i can think about anything else if i'm around you blah, blah, blah. that's why he needs to to, to die honorably in battle so that way he can just be removed from the equation and she can go live her best life as this awesome half dragon. Yeah. She needs to meet herself another nice half dragon. <laughs> yeah, I really was expecting it to be one of the grotesques. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, I thought we were setting up Fruit Bat. Yeah, and it is turned well. out to be very young. Yeah, yeah it, it, it like, can work oh, in a few okay. years. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's 12. Yeah. It's like, okay. It's only four years. Four years. Once they're yeah. older, that's not weird. When she's 22, he's 18, it works. Yeah. 
worked for Padme. <laughs> Did it. Rip. Rip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Suddenly Star Wars. <laughs> um, something else that I really want to find out in the rest of the series is the story behind the heretic. Mm-hmm. Like they hinted at it several times and I'm so curious. Yeah. Like, why was he a saint? Why is he not anymore? Mm-hmm. What happened? I'm so curious. Yeah. What does it have to do with Serafina? Yeah, that's and that's one of those like plot points that definitely feels like it was intended to be a comeback for the sequel and we'll go get this information that kind of thing. Or it's just like yeah, it was a mentioned time kind of thing, but we're never actually going to approach it again. Mm-hmm. So we're asking, hey, Rachel Hartman, be like Tolkien and write literally just a book of lore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I remember specifically want, like hoping for in a sequel. Um, I want to see the... Draco Machia, whatever that was, the dragon fighting technique. I definitely want to see that. Like, we kind of get like, we get it teased with like getting to see some of their training regiment and things like that. Oh, you want to see more of the, uh, the knights? Yeah, you actually want to see the knights. (laughs) Yeah, want to see them be knights. Like, (laughs) um, that's definitely one that, like, actually, of course, now that we're at war. (laughs) <laughs> like we can kind of have that whereas um we kind of get to see that even that like that social implications of them like being banished but now oh we need you please come back and train people like that kind of thing like i have a feeling that's something you will get to see in part two because it was initially titled dracomachia <laughs> now it's shadow did, scale did not know that I'm on the wiki. <laughs> I am as well, but I hadn't I hadn't clicked. In the so I'm trying to avoid avoid tainting my opinions by looking at what was actually in the second book. Well, when you mentioned that, I was like, I was curious. I was curious. <laughs> Right. Any final thoughts on Serafina? Needs more math. Um, overall, I really liked it. Um, I, I kind of said that throughout that, but I really liked this take, and um, I like that it it does feel like it's planting seeds for other ideas to come later. Um, I think there's a lot of like storytelling that can kind of fall into that, that space where it's um, again, kind of use the illustration from before where it's not like, here's a chapter to have a chapter about, about this thing, but um, here's an idea. And we're going to try to tie this idea into the story later at a more important part to the character or to the central narrative. Um, And so um, there's definitely a lot that I think le- it it left me wondering. Well, what does this actually look like? So I like that. 
Yeah, I'm definitely kind of definitely looking forward to possibly reading the others. Maybe. If I have time. We'll see. <laughs> but it's it's definitely a consideration. Um I like that it is isn't a traditional fantasy book. And that's really kind of what captured me, like in reading through the whole thing and so excited to see what else she did. Mm -hmm. And just to get some more of my favorite characters. Yeah. What about you, Cameron? Do you think you'll read more? Yeah, I definitely want to at least read um, Shadow Scale. Um, I was doing like a little bit of looking around and like, I guess the third book is more of like a side story. Um it's apparently so, tied in prequel with her because it's like tied in with um well because there's there's the audition which is the prequel yeah oh yeah and then there's shadow scale then there's another one that's like about seraphina's half sister and so it's like still in the world but it's not about seraphina and so um but i really enjoyed rachel hartman's like writing style um and so i could definitely see myself like reading more of her of her works yeah yeah i agree oh it's only a two-part series i guess yeah yeah i so guess sequel both... and conclusion is shadow scale I'm like what yeah and i guess like the i don't know if i saw this but i think that best things comes book... in threes rachel hartman <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna but be successful the, the fantasy the other book is supposed to be a, another two-parter and so I kind of like that of like, this is the intention of the story. This is what we're going to fit it into <laughs> rather than just having the kind of going into our conversation on the normal podcast from the other night about finales. It's like, it seems like most shows that have really good finales had, they had the finale in mind when they were telling the story. And so I kind of like that idea of we're not going to do three books just to do three books. We have a two part story, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Just saying, best fantasy series are in trilogies. <laughs> and some get ruined by a fourth. Looking at you, Christopher Paolini. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with you guys. I think I'm interested in reading the sequel for sure. Just want to find out those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Watch, we're going to read the curious. sequel and we're going to be pissed. Probably. 50 50. 50 50. Like, we only met two other grotesques. What the junk? No, I need a third book. That would be upset. Told you the best things come in trilogies. <laughs> <laughs> but no one listens to Chris. No one listens to Chris. <laughs> Okay, final verdict. Do you recommend Serafina? Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, it's definitely on the New York best time or was a New York Times bestseller for a reason. And so, yeah, I definitely recommend it. Yes, me too. All right. Our next book club. 
will be on May 27th. And we are reading Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, and I'm super pumped. This is on my favorites shelf. What's this about? Like, what's the overall synopsis? As someone who has no has never heard of this before. Um, it takes place in London underground. Um, there is a whole fantastical world underground, underneath London. <laughs> and there's murder. Oh. And- <laughs> <laughs> murder. <laughs> so we sh- could almost just recycle our, la- like literally our... our- <laughs> Or triplicate again, just yeah, just and no even just leave dragons. leave dragon math in there, just because yeah, it's just because there's always gonna be dragon math in that one. Sure, but no, it's if we thought Serafina was unique, we've got a whole nother thing coming with Neverwhere. Oh man, I love <laughs> Neil Gaiman. I'm so excited. And this is an older book too. It is a bit older. Because I read it in like 2006. I don't know when it was actually published. I just. Pretty sure I was in high school when I read it. Time to find a collector's edition. <laughs> um, I do not believe. Off that this is one of his first. One of his first? One of his first, but not the first. Originally, oh, originally published in 96. Dang. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm trying to go to his wiki. I thought not, though. First His novel first was Good novel Omens. Was, was in ninety. Yep. Hmm. So first on his own then, or possibly, yeah. I don't actually own this book, though. All right. Well, we will be reading that. Get ready for May 27th. (laughs) Um, We are First Geek 411, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come join our Discord server. Check out our Redbubble store. Email us at 1stgeek411 at gmail.com. Watch live on Twitch every Monday night and find the videos on our YouTube. Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the show notes on our website website for, wow, 1geek411.com. Ashneen, you can find me on Instagram at Hoot and Howl Tales, T-A-L-E-S, and Twitter at the Hoot and Howl. And I'm Cameron. You can find me as Humar Whittle. And I'm Chris. And I, you can find me everywhere as Not So Foreign. That's N O T S O 4 E I G N. Read a book. <laughs>